Jesus loves me, this I know. You may go. That's all there is. That's it. That's all you need to know. You respond in faith to that? That's all you need to know. I'm going to continue this morning in there through the Bible series that I started in February of 2015. <laughs> Promised you we would make it to the back of the book. And uh, we're kind of turning into the home stretch a little bit here, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> Promised you we would go through, and uh, we haven't just been in that. We've been doing some different things along the way as we felt like the Lord was leading us. And promised you'd give you an overview of the book, and then uh, something special, something focused, called a hot spot. Today we're in the book of Romans. Maria, I appreciate your laughter only more than you can imagine, because she was there the day I started a series in Romans 20 years ago, made it through chapter 8 which is the easy half, second half is left undone. <laughs> Sixth book of the New Testament, the book of Romans. What do I like to give you when we study a passage? Oh, thank you, Lord. They can be taught. Thank you, Lord. Context, as important to understanding the meaning of a scripture, as important to the words that you're reading is the setting the context in which the words are set. So the context of the book of Romans was that it was written by the Apostle Paul to the believers who lived in Rome. The Apostle Paul wrote substantial portions of the New Testament. He wrote letters to churches, either that he had planted himself or that he had known about and come to a relationship with at a distance. So he was writing a letter as the apostle to the Gentiles, to believers in Rome. And he said, wow, I've heard about you. Everywhere people are talking about you. He starts the chapter. Everywhere. This is so great. It was probably written in the city of Corinth. There was a three-month period of time when Paul was in Corinth. It was very likely it was then that he wrote to the, to the Romans, uh, partly because there were people there who are mentioned in the book of Romans who were in Corinth, who could have carried the letter to Rome. I mean, you couldn't put it in the mailbox, right? Definitely couldn't email it. Paul had no Twitter account. (laughs) And so there were people there who would have carried, hand-carried the epistle, the letter, to the Romans. It is considered by scholars to be Paul's masterpiece work. It's an amazing book. It's a long book. It's, it's, uh, It's a masterpiece of thought and the, the fruit of a relationship with God. And it is deeply theological in nature. Oh man, it's, it's, it, just, it just goes into some depths of our salvation primarily. It's a treatise about the nature of our salvation. And uh, it's a deeply theological work. If you compare it to some of Paul's other letters, uh, most of his other letters walked in a balance between telling us stuff about God, the theology, and stuff about how to walk it out 
as believers. So if you look at a book like Philippians, also written by Paul, you know, you read chapter 2 where it's called the divine kenosis passage. Kenosis is a Greek word that means emptying. And it talks about how Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he laid that down. He laid down his divine nature so that he could accomplish the mission of the cross for us. At the end of that passage, it says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, what will happen? Every knee's going to bow. Right, right. And so that's, that, that's part of Philippians' theology. Chapter 4 in Philippians, for example, he calls out two women, Yodia and Sintiq, and say, Would you guys get over whatever you got against each other? And so it's very practical in that regard. That's how most of his books are. By contrast, Romans is like pretty much pure theology. There's some practical stuff about not eating food, sacrifice to idols, not being a stumbling block to others, but nothing so personal as you find in the other books. So that's the context of this book of Romans. Um, This book is critically important to us today for a couple reasons. One, I think as Americans and as Western Christianity in general, we find it difficult to simply believe the gospel. We need, like, rationalization for it. We need reasons. And, um, and it's not that there's anything wrong with thinking about it, but we as Americans, we, we consider ourselves to be pretty sophisticated thinkers, pretty smart folk. I know it's a little funny when you say it out loud in light of everything that's going on, but, but it's, it's, it seems somehow strange to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me no. so. And so Paul, his letter that talks, it's only one of two places that he talks like the word propitiation, which is a word for atonement, and kind of uses the bigger stuff to explain stuff and uh, give it a, a more logical or cognitive basis. Um, so it's important for us in that way. But I think it's also important for us today in the world because of our human tendency to um, create religion and in place of relationship. You know, empty religion, like do this, do that, do this, do that, in the place of having relationship with God. Because even though Paul talks about the deep stuff, he keeps coming back to the fact that, you know, by the way, it's about faith in Jesus Christ for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Right? And for the wages of sin is what, he said? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's about having relationship with Jesus. So I think it's an important book for us. Now in terms of what we want to talk about for a hot spot today, um, I, I, I'd like you to look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. I love this verse for a couple reasons. It's, first of all, it's the first verse I, I ever memorized. So here's, so as you know, many of you know, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And so when I started going to church with Karen and it started it was foreign to me, and then I got saved. And, and they had this thing in this little country church called Sunday School. Has anybody heard of a thing like this? And, and uh, adults actually went into rooms and talked. That terrified me. Because uh, I thought, sure, I'm going to go in there and they're going to say, turn to the book of second opinions or something. I'm not going to have a clue as to where that is. I was intimidated. You probably never had this experience, right? 
I was intimidated by the thought of it. I was reading my Bible. I was, trying to get ex- I was excited, but I couldn't go in there. Well, then finally I worked up the courage to go in there. And they had a book that they called the Quarterly. Anybody know what I'm talking about, you know? And so it was Sunday school lessons written by somebody else somewhere else. And I got that book. And I thought, if I get that book, I know what they're going to talk about. All right? And so I took that book. I got ready for the next week. There was a memory verse in there. And it was Romans 1.16. It was Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and to the Greek. And I memorized that, baby, because it's a memory verse and I was going to be ready. And man, I went in there ready, sat with those grown-ups, and they never did it. I think I was the only one who knew it. I mean, they knew it, but the only one who bothered to memorize So, that's my first mem- ever memory verse. I also love this verse because it is Pastor Rob's signature verse. If you get an email from him, it always says on the bottom, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. That's what we want to look at today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's possible that you've been in a situation a time or two in your life where an otherwise well-meaning preacher, pastor, teacher, whatever, use this as a way to try to motivate you to get sharing your faith out there. And that the reason you're not leading nine people to Jesus Christ every week is because you're ashamed of the gospel. Have you been on the receiving end of something like that? That's not a bad question, but it's not what this verse is about. That is a very poor use of a very important verse. That's not what it's about. It's a good question. If if we're not sharing our faith, we should maybe think about why we're not. But I don't think it's because you're ashamed. I think it's because you don't know how. And Pastor Rob has developed that evangelism training series of courses to equip you to get going in the process of sharing your faith. For those of you who can't quite find your way there, I, th- I think some of you don't share your faith because you're faint-hearted. I strongly recommend this verse, this book on the right on the screen, Evangelism for the Faint-Hearted, which just helps you to get over and to see that sharing, being evangelistic, Kenny, is just relationship. Man, if you were on fire, I'd be like, dude, you're on fire. Would you like me to use my fire extinguisher? And you'd say, well, yeah, I'm on fire. And I do that because I love you. (laughs) And so evangelism for the faint-hearted is about about being relational instead of confrontational, right? And actually, the majority of your style of evangelism would be relational. There are some of you who are evangelists, and you should go on the street corner. You should go. Okay, and I'll pray for you, <laughs> all right? I'm a more relational kind of evangelist. So are probably the majority of you. So it's really not about that. Um, it's about something else. So I, I dare you to ask me the question, so what is this verse about? Somebody got an early start over here. Who was that? Is that you, buddy? I mean, 
why would a person ever have to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Why would a person ever even have to say, why did he say that? What was going on that he would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus? I'm not ashamed. Why would a person ever even have to say that? Well, it's because of the story. It's because of the, the basic story of salvation. God created the heavens and the earth. God created the universe, yes or no. And God created the earth and and all of his vast universe. I have no idea what else he's doing in the universe. All I know is that on planet earth, he made us. And he made us, and he made us somehow in his image. He set his image inside of us. He set eternity inside of us. And he made us for fellowship. But Satan entered and broke that fellowship. That's something called original sin, So that every person who's ever lived after Adam and Eve was born into a generation of sin apart from God. Into that broken generation, God has spoken the law, first the Ten Commandments, and the prophets, correct? The prophets not only spoke into how they were supposed to live their life as fallen people, but spoke about someone coming. Who's that? Right on. And so then we see in the next step of the salvation message is that Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, the Son of God, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, comes. He voluntarily gives his perfect life as a payment for our sin, a substitutionary atonement, if you need some big words, right? And he does that, but he doesn't stay dead, does he? He rises from the dead. And so as we have faith in him, we become a part of the church, the body of Christ. No one is saved into isolation. You are saved into the body of Christ. And as we live out in this church age in the power of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the word of God in us, I got some news for you. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back for his church. And we will live eternity in an idyllic existence in something called heaven. That's it right there. That's the full expansion of Jesus loves me, this I know. That's the full thing. Now when you look at that, why would anybody be ashamed of that, right? That's fantastic, isn't it? Why would anybody say, oh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? I believe that Paul had to say that because of the scandalous simplicity of that message. To whom was Paul writing? Romans. Romans. Oh, the Romans. Right? The Romans with their big ideas, right? Let's look at context. Let's look at this map. I think Paul needed to say this because of the geographical distance that the message was from the epicenter of it all, which is Jerusalem, right here. Jerusalem, everybody knew there, right? It's where it happened. It's where Jesus was. It's the heart of the Hebrew people. And so so Paul says that when Jesus came, he fully understood there, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus is a stumbling block to them. They fall over him, they trip over him if they can't 
understand him as Savior. Okay, so he took, takes this gospel message, and Paul does this work. Wish my arms were longer. And you can see in Asia Minor and such, you can maybe begin to recognize, like Ephesus and stuff, some names of places where he planted churches. Not so far from here, right? So he can just assume this knowledge, this sense of cultural perspective, right? Okay, keep going, and you get over to Greece right here, and Athens, and remember when he gets to Greece, what happens? He has to say, oh, you know, I've been walking around and noticing your monuments, and he has to begin to reason in a different way, right? And he said, I noticed this one, this one monument that you have to the unknown God. Well, do I have good news for you? I know that God, right? And so the farther he gets away from here, kind of the more cognitive he has to become. Now, let's move all the way from Greece. We have the Greco-Roman Hellenistic world right here, and let's go all the way up to the top corner to Rome. And you see how far away that is from Jerusalem. Now, you don't just catch a plane there. That is a whole different world. And those people were thinking stuff out. The Greeks were thinking stuff out. The Romans were thinking stuff out. Pretty sophisticated and all this philosophy. And Paul comes along and says, hey, you want to go to heaven after this? Want to go to heaven after this? It's about Jesus. And he preaches Christ crucified. He said in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinth, Corinth right here, right? Hello? He said, I preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks foolishness and so he's preaching this message that i just showed you on the screen and they're going pshaw you gotta be kidding me you and your simple little thinking and to that paul says i am not ashamed of the gospel and i'll tell you why because it is the power of god to salvation to everyone who believes first to the jew then to the greek i'm not ashamed of that he says I'm not ashamed of the raw simplicity of the gospel message. I'm not ashamed of that. And this is the context into which he speaks. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a scandalously simple concept. And some people are embarrassed by its simplicity. Some people are ashamed. They, they, hold, you know, they get in rooms where people are talking about philosophies and stuff and they feel intimidated. That's the time to say... Here's what I believe. You know, I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because I got relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, not all, know all your big words. I may not know the philosophy of Kant. I may not know even what Schleiermacher said. I might not know all these things. I haven't read a lot of Kierkegaard. I may not know all these things you're talking about. But you know what? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Here's why. Because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe? Then the power of God is saving you. You know, you might wonder, in, it's such a wonderful message, the simple, simple gospel message. Why would anyone try to complicate the gospel? What would be in it for them? I want to offer right on, I want to offer some ideas. They would do that to 
to endeavor to legitimize it. It's such a simple message, isn't it? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But don't we need to make it more sophisticated than that? And so if we can complicate it, it seems more sophisticated. I think they might do it to try to mechanize it. If I can complicate the gospel, I can tell you what steps you're going to need to go through in order to experience it. And I can make it into a religion. I can take it and out of the relationship with God realm altogether, and I can make it into a, what do you mean you didn't show up at that time? You didn't check off the box. And I can mechanize it, and when I mechanize it, I hold the power, right? I think people would complicate it so as to attempt to control the gospel, control people in the gospel. When we control, we build up little kingdoms. I will never wander from the simplicity of the gospel. I may have told you this before, but I graduated with honors with my master's degree And the last class was a class called Credo. And we sat with the president of the seminary for a semester. And we talked about stuff. It was great. And at the end of the class, we had to write a paper. The whole grade was based on a paper, one paper. And it was your personal theology. Dr. George Weaver, giant of the faith. Since I had done so well with my grades, I thought, I can roll the dice here. And I took a three-by-five index card, and on it I wrote, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Tom Paquette. (laughs) Jesus loves me. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of that. What does this mean, the simplicity of the God? I'm not ashamed of the simplicity. What does that mean? Does that mean I have to check my brains at the door in order to be a true Christian? Not at all. Do Think deep things. Explore great truths after you've lived squarely in the simplicity of a relationship with God through the simplicity of Jesus loves you, this you know. You can go where you want from there, but don't think that you can think your way into a relationship with God. You can't learn your way in. You can't earn your way in. You just fall in. It's the simplicity, the beauty of a simplicity. And celebrating the simplicity of the gospel is the doorway into relationship with him. You'll keep yourself out by insisting you know what all the terms are. Work on the terms once you get in. It's the simplicity of knowing the Lord. That's a relationship. Karen and I have been married for 45 years. I don't know why people clap. They should go, oh, I'm sorry, Karen. (laughs) When we started when we were teenagers, some of you know our story. God redeemed that. There is no close second 
in relationships that I have on this earth and with Karen. There's no close second. I have some people I cherish and I have friendships with, but there's no comparison to the value of the relationship that I hold with Karen. And it's simple. We don't have rules. We don't have rules. We don't talk about the categories of our relationship. We just have relationship. I was reflecting on that a little bit this week, and I, while we don't have rules, I thought of some essential realities that define our marriage that I think also play into our relationship with Jesus. And the first, the first thing I thought of is faithfulness. We are, we are uncompromising in our faithfulness. Our faithfulness to one another, either actually or virtually, online or whatever, that's not an option. We're faithful. Faithful to each other. I think the second vital reality of our relationship is truthfulness. We've always told each other the truth. We've, we've always said what we mean, but we meant what we said. I think a third vital reality of a relationship is servanthood. We really compete to serve the other one more. Sometimes I let up a little and let her go. <laughs> She's in with the middle school kids right now, so don't tell her I said that. But. Servanthood. And then the fourth vital reality of our marriage, which reflects our relationship with Jesus, is adventure. Adventure. We're always looking for the next risky thing to do. And we've done some crazy stuff. You're one of them. <laughs> When we get bored, we say, well, let's mix it up then. Let's change it. Let's go. But at the end of the day, it's a celebration of our simplicity. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of that. I I can't even help people who have bad marriages. Sometimes they come in and talk to me, and I just, in my mind, I'm just thinking, man, it sucks to be you. I don't, under, I don't have some ca- careful answer for you. I don't, oh, well, here's what you, I don't know. Go talk to Rob. <laughs> I, I know what my marriage is, and I can't ex- explain it any more than I just did. I'm not ashamed of that, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the core reality that Jesus loves me, this I know. I'm not ashamed of that. I've studied hard to, and paid a lot of money to earn a whole, learn a whole bunch of big words. And I do my level best never to say them. So I want you to, I want you to take this test to see if you are maybe ashamed of the gospel. Don't raise your hand when I ask you this question. Do not raise your hand. 
But I want to know, in your mind, answer this question. Did you notice the subtitle of my message? I said, where profundity and sagacity meet with simplicity. Now, if you noticed it, it's fine. But if you went, oh, cool. We're going to get some depth, finally. Then I challenge you that you're not having breakfast with Jesus yet. I invite you. I invite you into a celebration of the simplicity of the gospel. Please stand.